But this voice came in my head and it just said, Nicole, this isn't the journaling that's going to heal you. You need to tell the truth. You need to dig so deep and you need to tell something that is keeping you sick. You need to get that blackness, that sickness out of you. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. On today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I interview Nicole Sachs. Nicole is a licensed psychotherapist, and she also describes herself as a partner, a mother, and she lives in New York. But what Nicole has to offer goes so far beyond her bio and even her credentials. I cannot wait to share today's conversation with you. I heard about Nicole from a friend of mine who's been in chronic pain for years of her life. She's young, very young, too young to be in chronic pain, but was in an accident and a whole series of events that followed. Anyway, this friend reached out to me to tell me that she stumbled across Nicole's work around the process of journaling through chronic pain as a way to heal your own body. And my friend experienced incredibly dramatic results to this work. In fact, she's almost never in pain anymore. She was able to avoid having a complicated back surgery that the doctors were recommending that she have. And immediately when I heard about Nicole, I went directly to her Instagram and then to her website, as you do. And I was so drawn in by this concept that you can use writing as a tool. Obviously, it's not confusing that I'd be drawn in by this concept that you can use writing as a tool to actually cure and heal your very own body. Her journaling practice is called Journal Speaks, and Nicole has so many other ways that she serves her clients. She's going to talk about several of them today on the episode. She has live retreats. She has online courses. She has meditations. She has an online community. She has her own podcast. So I'm so excited to share her work with you. She's an incredibly prolific writer, speaker, uh, just a really gifted healer and incredible woman. I can't wait for you to meet her too. I know you're going to fall in love with her like I did. Let's launch right in. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to get into this conversation with you. I was telling you before we hit record, I somehow just found out about you from a friend who was like, you have to check out this girl named Nicole and sent me over your Instagram. And it was just one of those moments in my life where I'm like, how have I not known about her before now? (laughs) So much of what you're doing is right in line with what we're passionate about at Find Your Voice. And also I think you've got a really unique spin on it. So I'm super excited to hear from you and your, your expertise today. So just thank you so much for taking the time to do this. So welcome. I'll start with the question that we ask every interview guest to start with, which is, what does it mean to you to find your voice? Yeah. You know, that is a really, really deep question when you ask it to me (laughs) because, (laughs) you know, just for a little background, I am a chronic pain psychotherapist and I have been working with people to literally find their voice and save their life as a result for over 20 years. And if you count my own 
life and my own journey uh, over 25. And so, yeah, I mean, in my world, finding your voice is literally synonymous with saving your life because of the effect that having connection with our repressed emotions has on healing chronic pain. This is so huge for me. One of the things I was really drawn to when my friend recommended I check out your work was, I mean, partly I'm like, I love the that you're incorporating writing as a part of this practice, but partly I was thinking about my own journey with chronic pain, which has been partly was food allergies. A lot of it was gastrointestinal. And then I went through a divorce and I had like a lot of like right shoulder, right side pain Mm -hmm. that was definitely so emotional and connected to emotions. And I just think what I know from going through those two experiences is that there really aren't people out there who haven't had some kind of an experience like this with pain where you've got something happening to you physically and you're like, what on earth is going on? And, and I think it's not, quite so common in our culture to think that the pain is more than just, well, something's out of alignment in my back or, or whatever. So, um, I really love the approach that you're taking here. You mentioned a little bit that this is personal work for you, but how did you get into this work? So when I was 19, I was a freshman in college and I had a very acute pain incident with my back. So I'd always had like sort of just like as a growing up as a teenager kind of achy back stuff, but nothing really severe. And when I was a freshman in college, my back went out and I had to come home from college and get all these crazy tests, you know, everything that they do, um, MRIs, x-rays, orthopedic surgery consults. And I was um, at the time diagnosed with a condition called acute degenerative spondylolisthesis. So there is a severe abnormality in my lower spine. So much so that if you run your finger down my back, you can feel it where I have an entire vertebrae that's shattered and replaced with scar tissue and it bumps out and it bumps in. And, you know, it was obviously very intuitive for surgeons to think, well, that's why she's in pain. And I don't ever blame anyone for that. But the only method of recovery they were discussing was spinal fusion surgery, which would require at the time, and let's remember this was 1991, um, it would require (laughs) six weeks in a body cast and a decreased mobility for life. And so they weren't recommending it. In fact, they weren't even saying I would ever have it. They just said basically this is your lot in life. And as long as you don't play sports or travel or sleep in certain positions or have a biological child, you should be fine. (laughs) And I was like, oh shit, Uh, that's a really sucky life for a 19-year-old to be looking into as as her future. And um, just through my journeys and my travels, I found the work of Dr. John Sarno, who became I'm condensing a very long story, eventually became my doctor. And then eventually after that, when I became a wonderful success story, became my mentor and my colleague and a referring physician into my practice. And I have spent the last 15 plus years in my private practice and then expanding that, helping people use mind-body medicine to completely heal chronic pain. Since the day that I did the work that he recommended and that I have evolved into something that people can really understand, I have not had a day of back pain. And I had three biological children and exercise till the day they were born. And I travel and I play sports and I go to kickboxing class and I do whatever I please. And yes, I do have a spinal abnormality. Yes, my spine looks different. 
different than the skeleton in health class, but it never accounted for my pain. And this is a huge misconception of the entire Western medical model that the abnormalities in our body, like bulging discs, like, like um, arthritic, you know, situations that they account for our pain. And the reason that we're living in chronic pain as a society, and this also includes food allergies or potential food sensitivities, or I can speak on all these topics, is because we don't realize how much the limbic brain and the emotional regulation system have to do with making mm. us sick. And that's how I help heal people. This is so brilliant. I'm so I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation. What do you think it is that keeps people from making the connection between the mind and the body? I mean, it's it's proven over time and through science that the two are connected. But I'm curious if you get people pushing back for you that these two things are connected. And if you do, what is what's what makes it so hard for people to make that connection? You know, Allie, I think it's just about programming. You know, first of all, let's just like dial back for a second. Being a human being is hard and it's scary. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's hard. You know, we've got like worries and we have self-consciousness and we have the world always asking us to be more and better. And then we have ourselves that are like, yeah, world, you're right. I should be more and better. And so it's, it's really hard and we have relationships and we have memories and we have trauma. So when the medical doctors of the world and big pharma that's always telling us, ask your doctor about this pill or that, or whatever, when there's rules, it just is like tempting to just follow them. You know, like it's so hard being a human being in the first place that sometimes we just want to say, I'm going to believe a doctor. I have a bulging disc. That means that's why I have pain. So I'm going to have surgery for that disc. It's not that people are that defiant. Quite frankly, I just think they're really scared. And when I mm -hmm. say things like an emotional exercise can cure a physical condition, they really have trouble believing me, but I don't think it's because they don't want to. I really think this is like our underlying programming that needs to change. It's so true. So talk to me about some of those tools that you teach. Like, let's say I'm a client who comes to you and I am in everyday chronic pain. And let's just say for the sake of argument that it's food allergies, because this is something that, sure, that yeah. I can speak to with some, some experience. So I'm, I'm coming to you, this would be me 10 or 12 years ago, where I'm coming saying like, there are only about five foods I can eat without having pain. Everything else that I eat causes massive digestive distress. I'm having skin problems. You know, I could give you the whole list. What, what are some of the first things you would say to me or have me try? So the first thing that I would say to you is that we need to shake your Etch-a-Sketch. <laughs> so like a lot of times when I speak to large groups of people, I will hold up an Etch-a-Sketch. And for those of your listeners under the age of 20, look it up. <laughs> it's the old-fashioned <laughs> iPad. <laughs> it's a toy where you know you can turn the knobs and make a picture on the Etch-a-Sketch. And when you're done with your picture, if you shake the Etch-a-Sketch, you get a clear blank screen and you can start again. And the first thing I would say to you if you were my new client is, Everything you've learned and every fear-based thing that you have done is not serving you and we're taking it and we're clearing the decks right now. We're starting fresh right now. I don't think that food is your problem. I don't think that food is making you sick. I don't think that there's anything dangerous for you to eat. And I totally understand why your, you know, little hair on the back of your neck is going to go up. You know, mm -hmm. if you were my dog, you know, like I would, I would be able to watch, you know, like you get a ridge over, over this, but this it's just the way, the only way that it has been explained to you. So I would say, let's have a conversation about brain science. Let's have a conversation about how emotional repression 
is and the and the possibility of trauma and so many things tied to our childhoods and our personalities which often tend to be perfectionist and goodest and wanting everyone to be okay and caretaking personalities and our stressors of everyday life how the nervous system can view those things as a greater predator than your stomach discomfort and mm-hmm. how when those things go unchecked and when that toxicity of these emotions that have not been felt is is available in your system and rising to the level of consciousness that your nervous system and this is even more primitive than your limbic brain this is your reptilian brain this is fight or flight goes into a knee jerk reaction of creating something in the body that will make you safe now why is it safe to have stomach problems because having stomach problems slows you down It stops all the obligations that you might have said yes to that bring you out into the dangerous world. It helps you say no to people where you have trouble drawing boundaries. It helps you manage your life maybe in in a smaller way because you're not willing to slow down. It keeps you safe and it allows you to be in action. So what are you doing? You're going to a nutritionist and you're studying things online and you're calling your friends and say, I can't make it to that lunch. That restaurant doesn't really have something I can eat. And Mm. it's you're in action. And when we are in action, believe it or not, our nervous system and brain feels like we've reached more equilibrium. We're safer because we're doing stuff to help ourselves. But what the sad truth of that is, is I call that safe in the unsafest way because your life is limited and you're not happy and your reptilian brain might be satisfied, but you're not. And so what I would tell you in that session is we need to shift your thinking and once and and maybe I'd assign you to listen to my podcast with myriad success stories from people ranging from irritable bowel to food food sensitivities to back pain to migraines to fibromyalgia to you know all sorts of body pains to neurological stuff you know I mean I I really it spans the gamut and I'd say listen to some success stories bring your belief bring yourself in alignment with your belief and then we're going to talk about how to heal you and that has a lot to do with writing one thing I know from working with writers who are using writing as a tool to grow or change or overcome some sort of old habit is that the limbic brain, shaking that etch-a-sketch like you're calling it, which is such a great metaphor for it, is is more challenging than it sounds. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you do to help someone clear the old pathways or clear the old ideas that have been driving their behavior or driving their responses for so long? Yeah, it's a really important question. So if you think about what we have to repress out of necessity, there are three major categories under which you can find these items. The first is childhood. So, I mean, it's just really basic stuff to the most traumatic. You know, some people say, but I had a really happy childhood. And I say, right, I know you did have a really happy childhood, but I promise you that there were lots of times you weren't heard. And I promise you that there were lots of times you were really ashamed of yourself and you just had to stuff it down and you were left out and you were bullied and you were objectified and whatever happened to anyone. And of course, then it runs the gamut to people who had significant trauma, sexual, physical um, abuse, neglect, you know, death of a parent, you know, so there's all sorts of stuff like that. And there's, so that's childhood. There's daily life, which is the everything that we we deal with every day, money, job, partner, kids, self-esteem, stuff like that. And then there's the personality that I talked about. And the way that we get into that, the way that we allow our 
very complicated systems, our limbic etch-a-sketch to be shaken, is we need to have a very concrete practice. A lot of this stuff is too big for people to conceive of, really. So what I do is I teach people a process called journal speak, which is a very specific journaling practice that lets that five-year-old inside of us who is still there, whether we like it or not, that voice that is angry and sad and scared to come out and to speak for 20 minutes each day, followed by a 10-minute loving-kindness meditation. And so it's not about telling people just you have to shape the Etch-a-Sketch and you know go do it. It's literally mm-hmm. saying you need to believe that you need to shake the Etch-a-Sketch. You need to believe that what I'm saying is true. But after that, you don't need to know how to do it. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it. And similar to any journey that just requires you to keep stepping, left foot, right foot, breathe. If you mm. do what I'm teaching, the how is in the doing. You're already doing it by just listening to this basic premise of believe, do the work, which is the work that I teach, which is this journal speak work, and then practicing patience and kindness for yourself. Those are the three pillars of my work. Incredible. I'm obsessed with this journal speak concept. I'm wondering if you can talk about this a little bit more. Like, where did this idea come from for you? Is it born out of research that you did? What is like, what makes journal speak different from other types of writing? All right. So do you want me to go a bit into the story? Go into it. Tell me everything. All right. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So when I had my first acute pain incident, that was when I was 19. And you know, it's it's a bit too long of a story to tell you every detail because we'd be here for hours. But the second acute pain incident I had was after I had my second child. And I was a mother of a almost two-year-old and a newborn, which wasn't the plan to have them quite <laughs> so quick. But, you know, life presents life. And so you do what you do. I was already, I had known about Dr. Sarno, but I hadn't really done his work. I had just read one of his books early on and had just realized I'm not broken. I can have babies. I went on with my life. But after I had my second son, I I had another acute back pain incident and I was fueled by fear like so many of us are. And I threw out all the mind-body stuff in my mind and I said, I went right back to the medical model. I ran to it in terror and I spent a year of my life in terrible chronic pain. And this is where Journal Speak was born because I had never really done the work. I had understood Dr. Sarno's theories. I had, you know, basic understanding of, you know, you either feel thing in your heart or you feel something in your body and they're interchangeable. And so, okay, I had been feeling a lot of uh, emotions in my back. That's really what got me through the first few years of my recovery. But when I had this second really bad acute pain incident and I was older and I was a mother, which totally changes your perspective in life, you get like this mother bear about like, oh my God, I need to be here for these kids. The Mm -hmm. pressure is so great. And so the famous story goes that I was um, with them. It was maybe my son was one and my daughter was two and three quarters. And we were in a deli and I was going to pay for the lunch that we had had at the counter. And my little ones were running amok (laughs) in this sort of common area in the front of the deli where they keep all the delicious treats, the gummy worms and the chocolate covered pretzels, like two feet off the ground in these like clear (laughs) containers, right? So my kids are like shaking them and grabbing them. Mommy, can I have this? And it was freaking chaos. And I'm trying to pay and I'm feeling my back seize up and I've got my diaper bag on one arm, probably two diaper bags, God knows, with these two kids, they're both in diapers. And 
I paid and I got them by the wrists and we started walking to the car in an active, very active parking lot. And I felt it getting worse and worse. And when I got to the car, I couldn't get my kids in the Mm. car and I couldn't let go of their wrists because if I had, even for one second, they could have run into traffic and been killed in, like instantly. It was such a busy parking lot. And I just stood there and I laid my forehead on the driver's side window of my car and I just cried and I sobbed for my broken life and my poor kids and my broken back and my misery. And I just, I don't know how long we stood there. You know, I have this memory. I can tell you that I remember this happening, but I, it was really like a trauma and a blur. And I finally got them in the car somehow, you know, I still don't really remember, but all I know is this, I got them home and I put them to bed and I sat on my bed and I looked out the window in the stars and in the blackness of the sky and I surrendered and I said, I'll do anything. I will do anything I need to figure this out. And that's when I went into New York and I saw Dr. Sarno as a patient at the Rusk Center for Rehabilitation at NYU where he practiced for 50 years. And he explained to me that the best way to release the repressed emotions that are keeping us toxic and and having all that brain science that I just explained go on in our bodies is to journal. And so I understood what he meant and he told me to make three lists, childhood, daily life and personality. I, I got it. You know, I'm a pretty good student. And so when I went home to do the work, I was journaling and I was doing as I was told and I just I remember the topic was motherhood and I was writing a journal entry that you would never say wasn't true, meaning I was saying, yeah, motherhood, I'm so tired. I'm tired all the time. Two babies, this wasn't the plan. Two cribs, two sets of diapers. You know, I was I was just blah, blah, blahing. And I had a moment that I really think was a spiritual moment mm. where a voice came into my head and it said, Nicole, you're lying. And I, like what I'm saying is I wasn't lying, obviously, but this voice came in my head and it just said, Nicole, this isn't the journaling that's going to heal you. You need to tell the truth. You need to dig so deep and you need to tell something that is keeping you sick. You need to get that blackness, that sickness out of you. And and Allie, to the day, I have told the story so many times. And at this moment that I'm saying it to you, I still well up with tears every single time because it was such a huge moment of realizing that I had to say something much darker. And I put my pen to paper and I wrote, I hate being a mother. And it was so deep. It was so dark. It was, and I started writing, I hate this. It's wrong for me. I don't know why I thought this was going to be easy. It's terrible. My my daughter looks just like my ex-husband. Well, he was my husband at the time. Um, but <laughs> you know, you know, she looks just like him and he's never even home and and I'm alone. And these babies, they scream mm. in my face. And this is not what life is supposed to be. And I'm trapped and my life sucks and I fucking hate it. And I'm writing and I'm writing and I'm writing. And what's amazing and beautiful about journal speak is it doesn't stay true. This toxicness inside of us is living there like it's just, it needs to be unearthed. And yes, when you stir a pot that has had a a layer of disgusting sludge at the bottom, of course, initially, it's going to be very gross and it's going to be like affecting everything, but then it starts to rise to the top. And what, what I came to almost immediately was, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I don't hate my babies. Like what's going on here? And I started asking in 
into it more deeply because now I had opened the door. And you, you know, people think your body is against you, but your body is on your side. It just wants you to say, come in, come in all parts of me and let's discuss. And so when I started asking into it more deeply, I realized that from a very little girl, I had been a sort of lonely, kind of an only child, sort of lonely. My parents were had their issues, and I made a decision when I was about 10 years old that I would one day have the perfect family that would heal me from all of this. And mm. I just had this huge awakening that having babies is not that. And doing what we have to do to raise children is not that, is not this perfect, beautiful nirvana that's going to you know, fix all the wounds of your childhood. And it was, it rose in me like the most beautiful truth that I needed to really listen to my younger self. I, and I did. And that's what journal speak is. It is a very specific journaling practice. And so anyway, that's how journal speak was born. It wasn't born from research. It was born from doing a science experiment on my own body mm. as a result of being in desperate, desperate pain and paralysis, emotional paralysis, and being able to invite in the voice that heals. And through doing that, healed myself completely of my chronic pain and have been doing it for others for years and years. It's such a beautiful story and you do such a great job of telling it. There there were so many moments when I was just capturing little sound bites of things you said. And one that really stands out for me is that it doesn't stay true. No. That's something that yeah. I found to be true through my own writing process. And as we help other writers do the same kind of work, that the, what we're terrified of is seeing the words on the page because it makes it feel concrete and real and permanent. And what actually happens is that as you put the words on the page, it allows you to transmit that toxicity into something else. It allows you to metabolize it and to move it through your body so that it doesn't have to be stuck there. Just it's such a profound and and miraculous thing. It's thank you for sharing yeah, your story. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, another thing that I will say in terms of I don't know exactly how how you work with people, but in terms of this specific practice of journal speak, you also destroy it as soon as you're done. Mm. And so it's not something that you write to keep. It's something that it's a purge. You know, as one of my former clients says, it's like going to the bathroom or sneezing. You don't have to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Throw that in the garbage. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're not going to sneeze into a tissue and then look at it later. You know, it's just, it's, you're getting rid of something that you needed to get rid of. And, and trust me, it does, you don't need to look at it again. You know, some people say, but I like what I wrote. And I said, that's fine. Just like what you just said, Allie, like if you want to take what you wrote and like maybe grab a line out of that, like that was really true for you mm. and jot it in the notes on your phone, go for it. But like this piece of writing is a therapeutic exercise of ex exercising actually, almost like an exorcism, like exercising these, these emotions that out of necessity we've had to repress. You know, like if we felt everything that people made us feel or that society made us feel or that our own self-esteem and self-consciousness made us feel all day, we'd be unable to function. We cannot True. possibly feel all this input. You know, it's just too huge. And so we have to repress and that's healthy, but it's only healthy up to a point. And then we need to empty out. And the reason we're sick as a society, and the reason I would say, if you, uh, you know, as you're my pretend client with your stomach issues, mm -hmm. the reason that you're sick is because for whatever reason, and I don't know you, that was an easy opening for your nervous system. 
Maybe you always had stomach issues since you were a kid. Maybe your mom had stomach issues before you. Maybe it's something that's always been like a little scary for you. The thought of like something wrong with like your stomach. Maybe you had body image issues. I don't know what it was, but something allowed your nervous system to feel like this was a space that it could protect you. And that's why my back is my back because I do have a structural abnormality. So it's probably you know, in the midst of my tremendous stress of freshman year, my upbringing of tremendous repression, that was a Mm -hmm. really mindful place for my system to lovingly protect me by giving me horrible back pain. And it was the place that woke me up. Part of why I know everything that you're saying is true is because, you know, you, you mentioned that this is born out of your personal story, not necessarily born out of research, which is how, that's how Find Your Voice has come to be too, is I started seeing anecdotally how writing could impact a person who didn't plan to publish before I started reading the research that talks about how powerful a tool writing can be. But part of why I know that what you're saying is true is because of my personal experience, because like I'm mentioning, if you would have asked me 12 years ago, I would have told you, told you there's about five foods I can eat without pain. Everything else makes me sick. I'm allergic to gluten. I'm allergic to fructose. I'm allergic to all these different things. And over the course of the last 10 or 15 years, I've figured out, I'm not, I didn't have a clear system like what you're offering for clients, which is so fantastic. But I did figure out that if I could purge the, the toxic thought processes and emotions that were inside of me and find an outlet for those things that I could actually reverse the way my body was responding to the food that I was putting into it. So I've had that experience. I can eat up until about six months ago, I could eat everything except for gluten. Gluten was still really bothering me. And, and then in the last six months, I've been able to reintroduce gluten as well. So, so, and then also the other thing is the friend who told me to reach out to you is a friend who has also had chronic back pain that was completely debilitating and your system has helped her to become totally free from that. She's in no more pain and, and a similar kind of story to what you're talking about where the doctors were telling you, there's no telling her, there's no other choice, but this really intense surgery. And now not only is she able to forego surgery, but she's also able to enjoy the things of her life she wasn't able to enjoy before. So, so I say all that to say, it's kind of long-winded, but just to tell people who are listening, if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, this sounds interesting, but I'm skeptical. It makes sense that you're skeptical and also go find Nicole's podcast, listen to the podcast episodes, hear the success stories, hear my story, you know, hear my friend's story and hear Nicole's story and know that this kind of healing and progress and growth is possible for you too. So um, tell people if they want to find out more about how they could access your system that you've created to make this easy for them, where they can, where they can go find those resources. I have a website. It's called thecureforchronicpain.com. And on my website, on my resources tab, there are links to everything I do. My, I, I'm interviewed on many podcasts, so I have some of those links there. I have a, a course, an online course that takes you through my entire program with original videos and readings and writing assignments and guided meditations and art therapy exercises. So that's like a something that you can purchase. But I also have like a free YouTube channel, which is also linked to the resources page. I have a podcast. It's just over a year I've been doing it and it drops every Friday and every Friday is either an interview with someone who has a, um, an amazing and stunning success story or uh, an hour of me giving tips and, and important information for doing this work for yourself. And um, I have an online community. 
on Facebook. It's a private group, so nobody sees your posts but the members of the group, and that's called Journal Speak with Nicole Sachs, LCSW on Facebook. I also run live retreats all over the country. I think I'm going to be in North Carolina at the Art of Living Retreat Center in the fall. And and just throughout, I'm going to keep booking them, so just stay tuned. There's a retreats tab on the website. There's so much you can learn, but I also want to say one thing about what you just said, if somebody's hearing about this, that you understand if they're skeptical. I want to speak to skepticism for a moment. Please do. The reason, the reason that you're skeptical is not because it's not totally your free will. So I, I just want to explain this to people. Resistance to this process is part of the nervous system protecting you. And I think people need to understand that so that you are not mired in your own skepticism without clarity. Because, you know, if I go to do my journal speak practice and I can think, oh God, I have so many things to do today. I'm tired. You know, I don't feel like doing this. That voice is very tempting to listen to because it's my voice. Hmm. But the truth of the matter is my voice in that moment is motivated by my nervous system telling me, danger, danger, don't go there. You might find out that you don't like your job, that you can't stand your boss, that you want to leave your husband. I get it that you're terrified and you don't even know it to find things out about yourself in the same way that you're terrified to listen to this podcast that you weren't even expecting to be about (laughs) health. (laughs) And all of a sudden you've like, shit, you know, I'm hearing this and it makes sense for me. If you think, oh, you know what? But I mean, that, that goes against everything I've ever learned. I get it. But just, you know, give yourself the gift of being curious because the life you save is your own. And I can promise you that I've been doing this work for years and years and years. I have never, and I'm serious, seen a successful back surgery long-term. And there's tons of scientific studies that say the same. It it doesn't help. And even if it has a short-term help, usually what will happen is the person will say, yeah, well, my lower back isn't bothering me anymore, but now my shoulder. And it's because this process, it's brain science. You cannot fix something that's going on in your nervous system and your limbic brain with Mm. altering surgically a part of your body or with taking a pill. It it will never work. And my, my hand to my heart for society is that they get that the power to heal is in their hands. We have so much more power than we realize to heal ourselves, And it's so profound. And my entire life, so I have three biological children. I have two stepkids. So I'm 47. I'm raising five kids. They're all teenagers. I work full time. I have no pain in my body. And I feel fantastic. And, And it's because I do this work. So it just, you know, like just give yourself that gift. That's just my little stump speech I had to say. I love that. I'm so <laughs> glad you added that. It's I've never you just do such a great job of putting these things into words for people in a way that is filled with lots of grace and compassion and also the imperative that the the power to heal is in your hands and it's up to you if you decide want to decide to move forward. So I'm just really grateful for that. Before we wrap up today, I do want to transition a little bit and talk to you about the process of writing your book because we have a lot of listeners who are looking to publish. And so I'm curious for you, what what helped you make the transition from doing your own personal, your writing process as a way of personal healing to now suddenly I have something I think I want to say to the world? Yeah, that's actually, it was a cool, it's a cool answer to that question. So I was in private practice and I was just, you know, bopping along, had my practice and I I had a practice in New York and then I moved down to Delaware and had a really thriving practice down here and I would travel up to New York to see clients there as well. And on one of my trips back from the city, so it's about a three and a half hour drive, 
I had just seen a client in the city and she looked at me and she said, you have to write a book. <laughs> she said, it is so, it is so, it's a tragedy that the only people that are hearing your voice are one hour at a time for however many hours you can tolerate, you know, working a week. Like you must write a book. It must be out there. And so I'm driving home from New York and I was talking to my mom who my mom, I love my mom so much. Um, and my mom's <laughs> favorite thing to do is when I say I'm going to do something. And I think it's because she thinks that she's wanting to protect me from like the pain of rejection, or I don't know why she does this, but her first reaction to everything I say is, I don't know if that's a good idea. That's <laughs> so hilarious. I'm driving home. I know, I know. My, I love my mom. <laughs> so I'm driving home. And I'm like, mom, you know, this client, she said I should really write a book. She's like, how are you going to do that? I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to be able to like, you know, get what you really do in the room with people. There's no way that you're going to be able to do that, like in a book. And I'm like, but mom, I think I can do it. She's like, I don't know. So I hung up the phone with my mom and I got to spend like two hours just thinking, how can I do it? How can I make the person reading the book feel like they're in the room with me? How can I make them understand the imperative of not feeling like they're alone? And it just all started to come to me. And um, I sat down the next week and I wrote that book. I wrote it in like five months. I really wrote it quickly because it was like, you know what I joke around? I say that all of us have a cloud, okay? okay? And the cloud is just like above us, you know? It's like like any of these cloud systems. So everything that I needed to know and we need to know is is there somewhere. And it's just about kind of having the intention and the clarity to open yourself up and to go into your into your cloud files and to say, what do I want to download? Yeah. And as soon as I started really genuinely with the intention that I knew I needed and also to show my mother that yes, I could do it, <laughs> I I really, it just came to me. And so the book is part memoir and part how to do this for yourself. And the story of the Delhi experience is in there. And a lot of stories coming up to that are in there. And it's very honest and it's very raw. It was therapeutic, but it also serves as a tool to help people. And I'm really glad I did it. I love that. The The book is called The Meaning of Truth, Embrace Your Truth, Create Your Life. And I actually, you and I connected like maybe not even two weeks ago, and I got so excited about getting you on the podcast that I haven't had a chance to read the book yet. But I'm ordering a copy, and everyone else listening should go order a copy too and check out this book. Is there anything you want people to know about the book or, or something you feel like will be a major takeaway from them? Or what, what could you tell a reader if you were going to put this book in their hands, what would you tell them? I think sort of similar to what I just said before, which is anything, any preconceived notions you have about yourself or what you're capable of or how your health is being limited or how, and sometimes it's not even health. Sometimes it's just feeling like you're lacking that zest for life or you're lacking that ability to embrace your joy. Whatever you have decided is a permanent in your life. Just put it on the side burner and read the book. <laughs> Just give yourself the gift of being totally open, of, of being, you know, I, I often say the best tool in life is to replace your fear with curiosity. Just say, I wonder, I wonder what could happen if I open my mind and read this mm -hmm. book and see how you might be able to change your own life. I love that. That's great. Replacing fear with curiosity. I'm going to use that for myself and my own practice this week. So thank you for that. This is the last question that I always ask in these interviews, and it's going to feel like a big question, but I'll, I'll kind of tee it up for you so it doesn't feel so so crazy. 
One of the things that I really believe to be true is that words are one of our most profound tools for having an impact on the world. They, they have the power to transform our personal lives and our communities and then the world, the wider world as well. And because of that, I always ask people if they had to put their legacy or how they hope to be remembered into a few words, what are the words that you <laughs> hope someone would say about you after you're gone? Wow. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, I have spent a great deal thinking about this. <laughs> and the reason I have is because of Dr. Sarno. Mm. Because, you know, Dr. Sarno was my mentor. He was a brilliant genius. He practiced for 50 years at the Rusk Center for Rehabilitation at NYU Medical Center, which is a very prestigious place to practice. And in 50 years, he never got a referral from inside the building. Wow. He went against the medical model and the surgical model. He told people they could heal themselves. His work doesn't make anyone any money. And I really see my legacy as honoring his, although my theories have expanded on his quite a bit and I've evolved them to make them very accessible to all people. I honor the fact that he created this and he saved my life and I look to save thousands and thousands and millions more. So it is really my hope and and I and it sounds very grandiose but I don't care that by the time I live my last day on this earth that I will have affected change in the entire face of the medical model that mm. I will have spoken from my heart on the rooftops of the world and informed global change on the way people have been able to heal themselves. I think that my work is a bottom-up kind of change. It's never mm. going to come from the voices that are right now fueling us with fear. It's going to come from each person deciding that he or she is sick of suffering and doesn't want to suffer for one day longer and is willing to open their minds and their hearts and do something different. And I expect and hope to be a great catalyst of change. Amazing. Nicole, you're such an inspiration. This is, I don't say this lightly, this is maybe my favorite interview I've ever done for the podcast. It's, oh, it's thank just you. So, you're welcome. And and I love, you know, the you're right that the goals you have are lofty. And I think we don't ever accomplish anything of consequence in the world unless we have goals that seem like they're too big for us. So I'm cheering you on the whole way. I want to support you in whatever way that I can. I know we have listeners who are going to resonate with your story and the stories of the people whose lives you've changed forever. So I can't wait to send lots of those listeners your way. And if there's any other way that we can support you, please let us know. Thank you for your time today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.